Pastor John, it's good uh, to be with you again. I've heard so many positive things about your interviews, and, and I know they've meant a lot to me. And we, we've been spending some time talking together about the core values of Sagemont. And the one that we come to today is an interesting one. You don't see it often in many churches in their list of core values. And that's the core value of, of debt freedom. Now, before you explain this one and sort of the history behind it, I want to just tell you a little story. When I, uh, when I was going through the interview process at Sagemont and I was meeting with the pastor search team, this was a big one for them. <laughs> and I remember Kyle Crow looking at me and then interview. he got real serious, kind of cocked his head and he said, I need to know where you stand on debt freedom. And, and are, are you willing to continue that in the church? And uh, of course I am, and I love it, and we can talk about why later, but it was, it was more of a, uh, him saying, hey, we're going to run you out of town if, you, <laughs> if you're not into debt freedom. So Pastor John, talk about why that's critical for the church and for an individual, and why is this on our list of values? Well, first of all, uh, one of my favorite scriptures is, uh, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. I was raised in a home where I had a dad that uh, uh, was a pastor for 33 years at one church. In fact, from that church, Sagemont was born, the First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. And through the years, I saw the churches began to have major problems, bonding, couldn't pay their debts and so forth. But to shorten this, I challenged us one year as a church to read the Bible through in a year. And so we did it. Well, for the first time in my life, I began to come across words starting in Deuteronomy. You can lend to the nations, but thou shalt not borrow. So I thought, well, I've never seen that before. Well, if you go through the scripture, every building program in the Bible was paid for by God blessing his people. And when we got out of debt, it changed everything. And God just let us see that he wanted to bless his people. So we had 300 families give their total income to the Lord for 40 days, to, and we got out of debt. What a testament to the faithfulness of God. And so on behalf of all of us, thank you for listening to the Spirit. I mean, you hearing that from the Lord changed the direction of a church, and it's impacted untold people. It says on the website, it says, We believe a debt-free church is a testimony of God's provision, which you just talked about. But then it says something interesting. It says it allows us the freedom to be used of God in creative ways. If our money's tied up in debt, if, if we're paying all this interest and debt and all that stuff, we can't be creative and be led by the Spirit on a daily basis as a church. So one of the things that was so attractive to me about this place is our ability to do the Lord's work on a daily basis because of that value. So thank you for the heart behind that value. And I give you my word. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure we live it out the rest of the time I'm here. So thank you for coming bless today. You. Oh, it's good to be with you today, Sagemont. Thank you for coming today. Um, we're in a bunch of different scriptures today, but we're going to start in Psalms chapter 24, and we'll be there in just a second. Psalm 24, verse 1. Um, we're continuing our series called What's at the Core, where we're looking at the core values of Sagemont, and as you just saw, we're looking at one of the values that has become a very important part of our church for a very long time, and that is the idea of being debt-free as a church. <clears throat> as I shared um, with you, that, you know, when I got the call from Dr.
at the beginning of the pastor search team, one of the first things I did is I called a buddy of mine who's a pastor in Houston who's familiar with Sagemont, and I said, tell me about Sagemont. True story, very first thing he said, said, they're going to know where you stand on debt. That's the first thing he said. That's a huge question in the, in the interview process because it's a huge value for our church, which I'll spend the sermon telling you about. What's interesting is how rare this is in churches in America. I doubt there's not 10 out of 100 churches in the United States that are debt-free as a body of believers. And you may be thinking, well, Matt, that's crazy that, that the majority of churches in the United States are in debt, but that's exactly right. And the overwhelming majority of churches go into debt when they build their buildings or they buy their land, and, and, and it, it takes them years to pay it off. You know, one of the one of the memories that sticks out in my mind when I grew up in First Baptist Church of Athens, Texas, was the day or the Sunday that we celebrated paying off our debt as a church. They built the building in 1950, and, and there it was in 1980-something, and we had this big celebration where that was like the last payment, we burned the note, whatever, and, and we celebrated as a church. Well, about two weeks later, they started another building program and went into debt again, right? So, now... As we jump into this today, here's something I want you to, to listen to, and I want you to hear me carefully. I've studied this at length for the last few weeks, getting ready for this. I've never taught on this subject before in my life. I read every scripture in the Bible when it comes to borrowing money and debt. We could debate this, but I don't believe that the act of borrowing money in and of itself is sinful. Uh, Pastor John is right. The Lord did speak to the Israelites, and he told them, I do not want you to borrow money from four nations. And so for them, if they did, that would have been disobedient, and it would have been sinful. But when you look at the whole of Scripture, it doesn't come right out and forbid it. But what it does do is this, is the Bible absolutely makes it clear that being in debt is a, is a wisdom issue, that there is a biblical wisdom in pursuing debt freedom in your life and in the church. And so before I go any further, I want to say this. You know, if, if the statistics prove true, then there's a good amount of people that are here today in this church that are in debt. And, and my goal here, my purpose here is not to shame you in any shape, form, or fashion or make you feel like a bad person. I don't, I don't think that's necessary at all. Full disclosure, I don't have credit card debt. Um, I do have a mortgage, and I do have one car payment, one car note. And so my intention is not to shame anyone. I'm preaching to myself today. But what I do want to do is I want us to take some time and remind ourselves, and I want you to hear this, that every dollar we have and that every dollar we earn ultimately does not belong to us, but it belongs to the Lord. And, and, and let's turn there. Psalm 24.1, show you what I'm talking about. In Psalm 24.1, says the Psalm of David Scripture says, the earth is the Lord's, and all it contains. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. Now, one of the biggest issues that I've seen over the last 25 years of ministry in, in, in the lives of believers, and I've struggled this with myself at times, but one of the biggest issues I've seen is that we think our money is our money. We earned it. So it's ours. But when you look biblically at money and finances, it's not our money. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. Our money is not our money. It's God's money. And so what he asked us to do is he asked us to be stewards 
of the money that he gives us in order to benefit other people and to expand the kingdom of God among us. <clears throat> so here's what I want to do today. Simple sermon, quick sermon. I want, to, I want to give you three reasons why debt freedom is something that we're going to continue to do as a church here at Sagemont and something that, and it's a value that we all need to be pursuing in our lives together. And so here's the first reason that we're going to strive for debt freedom as a church and as individuals. And here's the first one. Debt freedom demonstrates trust in God. Debt freedom demonstrates trust in God. Now, here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> when you think about it, at the heart of debt is a lack of trust in God. Now, that's, that's not always the case. There, there's a lot of reasons people go into debt. A lot of times it's, it's sickness, medical issues, loss of a job, things like that that you can't control. But I'm talking about the kind of debt that we go into, that the majority of Americans go into, and that happens because we live a standard of living that is above the means which God has provided for us. Okay, and I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. There was a study done from the year uh, 2000 to the year 2017, <clears throat> and during that time, the median household income in the United States grew 32%. So in 17 years, Median household income grew 32%, but during that exact same period of time, the, the, the average household debt in the United States grew 62%. So it's almost double. We're spending almost double what we earned. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that. We could go into all the reasons for that, that sort of thing, but, the, but I'm convinced that a major reason for that massive increase in household debt in a very short amount of time was that my generation entered into adulthood. And when my generation entered into adulthood, bottom line, we spent more money than we made. We lived above our means. And it's a statistical fact that my generation, Generation X, they call us, I'm not sure why they call us that, but we're Gen X, and it's a fact that we are less generous as a generation than, our, than my parents' generation, which are the boomers, and their parents' generation, which is the greatest generation. Those were very... Uh, uh, generous generations and my generation is not. And I think a huge reason for that is we're in debt. We spent more than the Lord provided. And so I'm convinced that the reason my generation and the generation behind me, which are the millennials, are living above our means, I'm convinced that the biggest reason for that is a lack of contentment. It's a lack of contentment. And that lack of contentment stems from a lack of trusting in God that he's going to provide our needs. Okay? Now, I, I say this because I've, I've counseled a lot of folks over the years, a lot of young people who are in debt. And I'll sit down with them and we'll go over their budget and we'll talk about how the Lord sort of calls us to live lives of generosity. And I'll ask them, I'll say, hey, are you using the money that the Lord gives you to, for the benefit of others and for the expansion of the kingdom of God? They'll think about it, and so I'll get more specific. I say, are you supporting your local church? Are you tithing? They'll say, no. I'm like, are, are you giving to missionaries? Are, are you supporting people that are in the field? They'll say, no. And inevitably, they'll say something to the effect of, well, Matt, I just don't have any margin in my budget. And so we'll dig down into their budget and dig a little deeper, and here's what I found out. They don't have margin in their budget because they just bought a new iPhone, and the reason they just bought a new iPhone is not because their phone broke, but because the new iPhone just came out, and they had to have it. And, and then I dig a little deeper. And those suckers are going to Starbucks every single day. 
They're spending 30 bucks, 35 bucks a week on Starbucks. They're, they're going out to dinner five, six, seven times a week. They're living in a, a house that's, that's nicer than what sort of the means that they have, or they're driving a car that far exceeds their income. And now here's the question, like, why does that happen? Why is that occurring? Why are so many of us, and it's not just Gen Xers and millennials, why are so many of us living above the standard or the, or the standard of living that God has provided? And I think in a very real sense, we do that because we say, God, I don't trust that what you have provided for me is enough. And, and, and I, I deserve a lifestyle that's bigger and better than what you have provided. I think the same is, is true for churches. The reason that so many churches today in America are in debt up to their eyeballs is because they built buildings not, not based on a number that the Lord provided, but they built a building um, uh, you know, based on what they thought they deserved, and they go into debt. Now, as I stand here today, and as we've, we've talked about already, our church is, is debt-free. It's amazing. I mean, we don't have a dime of debt on our land or on any of our buildings, and, and, and why are we in that position today? It's because Pastor John and the older generation of our church made that decision. They said, we're going to trust God. We are going to trust the Lord and what He provides for us, and we're only going to build what He provides. Now, I'm going to go into detail on that story because it's, a, it's an amazing story, how all that happened. Pastor John referenced it. The year was 1975. Church was in a building campaign. They needed around a million dollars to pay it off, and they were planning on getting a loan. But the Lord spoke to Pastor John and, and, and said, I want you to trust me. I don't want you to trust the bank. I want you to trust me to provide that money. And so he came to the leadership, told them what he felt like the Lord had laid on his heart, that they're only going to build what the Lord provided, and they weren't going to get a loan. One of, the, one of the deacons sort of pressed back on him and said, all right, that's great, Pastor John, but we need a backup plan. And Pastor John did what Pastor John's really good at. He began to be persuasive. And he looked at him and said, is there anyone stronger than the Lord? The deacon said, no. Pastor John said, is there anyone that has more money than the Lord? The deacon said, no. And then he looked at him and said, then we're going to trust him to provide. And if he doesn't provide it, then we're not going to build it. And then what Pastor John said next was brilliant. I'm going to use this if I ever need to. (laughs) He said, if we borrow money... And this is true. He said, if we borrow money, then ultimately what we're showing is that our trust is in the bank. If we borrow money to pay for a building, then we're showing that our ultimate trust is in the bank. And he said, if our ultimate trust is in the bank, then we need to go out in the front and change the signs of the church to First National Bank Church of America or whatever. And the the deacon said, all right, it's hard to argue with that. And they did it. And so here's what they did. And this is Gosh, it was convicting when I heard this. It was challenging, and it's amazing. 300 families here at Sagemont got together, and they made the decision that for 40 days, they were going to give 100% of their income. Now, you think about that. 300 families here at Sagemont, for 40 days, they gave 100% of their income. Now, you think, how in the world did they do that? Well, they got pretty radical. They would come up to the church almost every night. They would make big pots of soup to feed everybody. They put ads in the paper that said, we'll do anything so that we can earn money in order to pay our bills while we're giving 100% of our income away. Pastor John, one story in the, in the 50-year uh, anniversary book I read, Pastor John cleaned an outhouse in South Texas at a deer lease, made 100 bucks 
and gave towards it. They, they painted houses, they mowed yards in order to pay everyone's bills while they gave this money to the Lord. Well, at the end of 39 days, they were only halfway there. Now, they, they were convinced that they heard from the Lord that he was going to provide it for them, but at 39 days, they were only halfway there. So, Pastor John called the meeting, they all came up to the church, and they started praying, and they prayed hard. And during the course of the next 24 hours, a, a, um, a man showed up, and he gave a huge amount of stock. Another woman showed up, she gave the entire proceeds, the entire proceeds of the sale of her home. Another woman showed up and, and, and gave the money from a ring she had sold. And then over the t- 24 hours, people literally were lined up, coming and giving money to this thing. And at the end of 24 hours, the Lord actually did not provide the million dollars. He provided $1,077,469.04, which is pretty amazing. So instead of trusting the bank, they trusted the Lord and he provided. Now, I, it hit me, that's amazing. If, if you were a part of that 300 and you're here today, are, would, you, would you stand up? There's got to be a few. Stand up for just a second. That is incredible. And I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. We are the beneficiaries of your trust in the Lord. Thank you so much. I'll give them a hand. At the very heart of debt freedom is trust in the Lord. It's trusting in the Lord. Whether it's an individual or as a church, we're saying, God, we're going to trust that you're going to provide, and whatever you provide, that's what we believe you want us to have. Okay, so here's the second reason that we, we're going to continue to pursue this as a church and we're going to pursue it as individuals. Number two, debt freedom enables spirit-led generosity. When we're debt-free, it enables spirit-led generosity. Now church, there's a very clear call on your life as a believer. It's crystal clear in the scripture crystal clear call in the life of the believer to steward the finances that God has given you for his glory and for the expansion of the kingdom of God. So when we're free from the chains of debt, when we're free from the chains of debt, that allows us the freedom to be generous and to live these lives of generosity that God calls us to live. Okay, so let's turn quickly to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. This is a verse I have not heard preached very many times. And it's a clear command of the Scripture to live lives of generosity. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty or arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Do you see that? That's trust. He says, do not tell them, charge them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Put your hope on God, who, watch, it says, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And in verse 18, he begins to give us some commands in light of it. He says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, 
Here it is. It says to be generous and ready to share. So in 1 Timothy 6, Paul's addressing the rich of this present age. Now I'm, I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. When we hear that a lot of times, we sort of let ourselves off the hook. We're like, well, I'm not rich. And we think rich people, we think celebrities, athletes, guy that owns Amazon. We're like, those are the people that are rich. But if you live in the United States of America in the 21st century, listen to this, guys. You are one of the richest people that has ever lived in the history of the entire planet. I believe with all my heart that the scripture is speaking to us here. And that's true, and it is. Much is given as much is expected. And so Paul is addressing the rich of this present age, and he gives four commands. Number one, he says you're to trust in the Lord, not in your money. Trust in the Lord, not in your money. Number two, you're to do good. God has given you a lot. You're to do things with it. He goes on. Third command is you're to be rich in good works. Not to be known for your money, but you're to be known for the way that you live and your good works because of the riches you have. And there it is, number four. Fourth command is that we are to be generous. That generosity is an absolute thing that ought to be coming out of the life of a believer. 21st century America. It's a command of Scripture to give our money away. Okay? Now look quickly at verse 19 because he tells us why that we're called to be generous. Okay? Because, you know, you've, you've heard pastors for years say you need to be given. You need to be generous. Have you ever thought about why? There's something going on here more than just paying the bills. In verse 19, watch. Paul says, this is why you're doing it. The storing up treasure for themselves... So when you give things away, there's a treasure that's coming back to you. He says, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Watch. So that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul says, he says, look, he says, when you, when you live a life of generosity, then what you're doing is you're taking hold of that which is actually, truly life. That's amazing. The claim of the scripture here is that true life and real life is not found in having more money. But that true life and true blessing is when you're generous with the money that the Lord has given you and given away to other people. And, and you know what? I was thinking about that. I'm like, I've read, some, I've read that somewhere before. That there's blessing in giving. And sure enough, don't turn there, Acts 20, 35 Scripture says, in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so, Sagemont, the Scripture is screaming at us from the rooftops that true life, that True blessing is not found in the amassing of money for ourselves, but true life and true blessing is found when we give it away for the glory of God and for the good of others. And so the question really comes down to, do you trust God enough to do that? And do you believe the word of God enough that blessing is found in giving and not in receiving? Now you may be saying, well, Matt, that's a great argument and all about me being rich as a 21st century American, but I'm having trouble paying my bills, okay? And if that's you, I understand. I've been there. But I want you to listen 
how Jesus praises a woman who even in her poverty lived a life of generosity. It's in Luke chapter 21, verse 1. In Luke 21, 1, Jesus looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. He saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Look at verse 3. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more, put in more than all of them. For they contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, and all she had to live on. And so there is this sort of call on the life of the believer, whether they are rich or whether they are poor, to be generous. Well, our finances for the good of others in the building of the kingdom of God. But the amazing thing about all of it is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, we're blessed when we do it. And so are you, are, are you church, are you starting to see why the scripture says, seems to be pointing to the idea that incurring debt displays a lack of wisdom, that there's a lack of wisdom. And here's why. Our debt limits our financial generosity. And when our financial generosity is limited, then our blessing is limited because it's better to, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs 22 talks about this very thing. Turn there quickly. Go back to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, 7. Famous verse. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. It says the borrower is the slave of the lender. And when you think about it, it's true. Let's say I'm living above my means and I, I go into three, four, five, six, seven thousand dollars of credit card debt. In a very real sense, I am working at that point for the credit card company. I owe them this money and I have to pay them back. And so they own a portion of my time. They own a portion of my money. And I am really not free until I pay back that debt. And so every time we go into debt, okay, because we want something or we want to experience something or we purchase something because we think it's going to be a blessing to us, in that moment, the scripture says, not me, you become a slave to that lender and that hinders you from having the freedom to pursue where Jesus said, true blessing is found and that's not when you receive but when you give. And if you don't believe me that there is more blessing in this, I'd encourage you to find a couple that's done it. Find a family that's been in debt and gotten out of it, and ask them. You know, you'll find out that when they were getting out of debt, it was difficult. You'll find out when they were making the decision to get out of debt that that was a major sacrifice, and maybe it took a significant amount of time, but I would encourage you to ask them, which is the more blessed life? When they were in debt, or when they had the freedom to live the life of generosity that God called them to, and every single one of them is going to tell you the exact same thing, that Jesus is right. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And this same principle, guys, it applies to the church. There is an incredible blessing found in the freedom to be generous with the, the, Lord, the money that the Lord has given us as a church. Um, because we're debt-free here at Sagemont. We're, we're not a slave to any lender. That has created this environment where we can be spirit-led in our generosity, and it's amazing. I'll just give you a couple of examples. I heard this story the other day. I'll give you one from the past and one from the present. 
Years ago, there was a church in Austin that was struggling. It was a Baptist church in Austin, big one. And um, they were in debt up to their eyeballs. And they were about to be foreclosed on. They were about to lose their church building. I just found out this, but Sagemont came in. You came in, paid off a huge portion of their note. They refinanced. That church is still there today. They're still reaching people for Jesus Christ because we as a church had the freedom to be generous. This, I mean, let's, let's just talk about last week. Let's talk about last week. Um, well, I'll get that in just a second. But we, you know, I, I talked to uh, several of my buddies that are pastors and they're in the middle of, of uh, a pandemic. We're in a pandemic. And, and several of them have said the exact same thing. They said, Matt, we haven't been able to be a blessing in our community because it's taken every dime we have just to pay our own bills. That's not been the case here. By the grace of God, that's not been the case here. This last week, last two weeks, hurricane came in. We took up an offering here at Sagemont. Brought in tens of thousands of dollars. We didn't have to use that money to pay our bills. But we were able to uh, use that money to give to multiple teams that went into Orange, Texas, and Louisiana. I found out yesterday that we fed over the last week alone over 4,000 people in Orange, Texas. I said, yeah, y'all can clap for that. That's, that's godly stuff right there. Bottom line is that debt freedom enables spirit-led generosity. And I hope that encourages you, that when you give to this church, that money is going directly into the ministry of the Lord and, and lifting high the name of Jesus Christ, not to pay some, some debt to some bank, okay? Now, guys, I'm almost done. But here's the last reason. Um, it's the final reason we're going to pursue debt freedom as, as a church and as individuals. And again, the first one is it displays trust in the Lord. The second one is it frees us up to, be, to have spirit-led generosity. And this final one is one that you may never, never have thought of before. Here's the third reason. Debt freedom is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Debt freedom is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Now guys, multiple times throughout the Bible, we are called to do things that are a physical picture or a physical representation of an internal spiritual reality that's happened to us, okay? So think about this. Why do we, why do we fight to stay in our marriages? If we're in a difficult marriage, things aren't going well. Why don't we just bail? Why do we fight for it? Why do we fight to stay together? And here's the answer. Because the scripture comes right out and says it in Ephesians that marriage is a picture of Christ's love for his bride, the church. Okay, your marriage, you may have never thought about this, but the, like your marriage, the day you got married and you stood at the altar, in that moment you became a living, breathing, physical representation of God's never-ending, unbreakable love for you and for me. And so the reason Jesus Christ himself said what God has joined together, you don't let any man ever break apart because your marriage is a physical picture of that spiritual reality. Same is true for baptism. Have you ever thought about why we get baptized? Well, there's several reasons. But one of the reasons we get baptized is it's a physical picture of a spiritual reality. When you go under the water and you come back up, that is a 
public proclamation and a physical picture that you have been buried with Christ and you are rising again to walk in the newness of life. And I could go on and on and on and give you one after the other, but listen carefully. Have you ever thought about the fact that your debt freedom is a spiritual, or rather a physical picture of a spiritual reality? That when you get to the place where you are are debt-free as an individual, that that is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Colossians 2.13, just listen. It's a powerful verse. Paul says, and you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses. Now look at verse 14. It's powerful. It says, by canceling the record of, say it, debt. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Hallelujah is right, church. You and I were dead in our trespasses and our sins. You weren't sort of dead. You weren't mostly dead. You and I were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And because of your sin, church, you had a debt to the Lord that you could not repay. You could never repay. But Jesus took the debt of my sin and Jesus took the debt of your sin and he nailed it to the cross and he paid it in full. He paid it in full. In the eyes of the Lord, you and I are debt free because of the blood of Jesus Christ. The debt of our sin has been forgiven. You and I are a debt free people. Let's go out there and let's show the world what it looks like. All right, let's pray together. With every head bowed and every eye closed, here in just a second, we're going to sing a hymn that you have probably sung many times. But I hope it means more more to you today than it did the last time you sang it. says, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. That is the reality that as the Lord looks at us, he doesn't see our sin because our debt has been paid by the blood of Jesus. So sing it today to Him as a prayer and as a, as a word of thank you to Him. Father, we thank You so much that no matter what our bank account says today, we are a debt-free people because of Your blood. Father, I pray that You would lead us and guide us in the days to come so that we would be a, an amazing representation of that reality to the world. But also, Lord, I pray that You would Give us wisdom in the days to come on how to move forward with our finances, not only as a church, but as individuals. Because God, we want to spend our days that we have left honoring you 
and building the kingdom of God for your glory and your name. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for the cross today. We thank you that you paid our debt. And so in your name we pray, in your name we sing. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand together.